You're listening to the Inspiring Minds Show on the Own Your Power Radio Network. This is Todd Goodwin, your host and hypnotist. Our goal is to inspire, empower, and transform your life. So stay tuned and inspire your mind. Welcome to the Inspiring Minds Radio Show on the Own Your Power Radio Network. This is Todd Goodwin, hypnotist from the Miami Hypnosis Center. And my special co-host today is Sheena Ace Mendes, who is also a uh, certified clinical hypnotherapist at the Miami Hypnosis Center. Hi. Welcome, Sheena. Sheena is a regular co-host on this show, not every time, but often enough to take advantage of that expertise you have. And what we do with this show and the Inspiring Minds show is to help you as the listener and the viewer to really understand more about the power that you have in your mind. And too often what we see with a lot of the clients in our work is that people have come in through some of the challenges they've dealt with in their life and they've lost their power, they've given it away without realizing it. And they suffer from all sorts of emotional and behavioral challenges uh, which can actually be relatively easily overcome and that's the work we do every day. So our goal with this show is to inspire, empower and help you transform your life by sharing stories from people and teaching you how you can actually change your mind and then change your life as a result. And what we're going to do today is we're going to be talking about grief. And when someone experiences death, the death of a loved one specifically, uh, all the emotional challenges that they typically deal with as a result and how that can adversely affect their life. And more importantly, how you can go from that state of grieving, which can sometimes last for decades, and get over it and make peace with that in a fairly short amount of time so you can get back to living your best life. So Sheena, um, just to introduce the show, you and I have both had a lot of experience working with clients who have uh, suffered from grief, and so we're going to be talking about some of that, and and one of the things that we're going to have later, talk just for a moment about the guest we have coming on in the second part of our show. Gina. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Well, Gina's one of our our clients at the office. I believe she worked with you directly, correct? Last year, yep. And uh, and Gina, someone who who I know that when she when she saw you, uh, according to to what we spoke, she was going through a lot of that whole grieving process. You know, kind of like what they call the five stages of grief. She felt that sense of loss, that sense of sadness, and whatnot. And I know that in just a few sessions with you, she was able to overcome that very quickly. And and at this point, pretty much permanently. Right. Yeah. So she's going to be coming on to share her own personal experience. Uh, after we've had an opportunity to explain a little bit more about the dynamics of grief and the mindset that actually creates it and also the mindset that helps you overcome it. Everyone has that ability. So um, before we go to our first break, one of the things I wanted just to mention, and Sheena, I know you uh, have worked and you've worked for over 15 years helping people as a hypnotherapist using a variety of these um, modalities to help people overcome all kinds of issues ranging from from grief and stress and anxiety, depression, addictions, um, you know, sexual abuse, uh, child abuse, and um, any other unresolved emotional or behavioral challenges that they've had. And you've had your own practice prior to joining the Miami Hypnosis Center a few years ago. So in one minute, if you had to say something just to sum up the unappreciated power of the mind, if you could deliver that message in one minute to people listening, what would you say is something that they need to know about what they're capable of? Well, I'd have to say that the the possibilities are infinite. As far as what one can resolve, overcome, um, rise above, whether it's something that's emotional or behavioral, at the end of the day, it's all the same. Um, it's all intertwined. And I think that through the work that we do, we see that um, accomplished quite successfully. And, uh, you know, it's something that's, that's withstanding more than anything else. I think that's one of the, the beauties of, of what we do. That's one of the most in, remarkable things of, of how the mind works and how the mind, because it doesn't distinguish reality from imagination, how it's able to sort of readapt and, and relearn um, and, and sometimes even just, uh, you know, let go of, of certain belief systems that, that were governing the mind. Hmm. Very cool. 
Well, we're going to get much more into this specifically uh, in a few moments, but first we're going to go to some, uh, we have some messages. We're going to go to a brief break with some music and time to chill a little bit and and get uh, ready for the next segment of our show. And even though this is, uh, you know, it's about grief, we don't need to be sad about the whole thing. We've already been through that. So here we go. We'll be right back in a few minutes. The Inspiring Minds Show. Hey, this is Coach Simone Kelly. And this is Hermann Dubois, a.k.a. Dr. Goya. A.k.a. my Puerto Rican brother from the Bronx. (laughs) And you could check us out every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Own Your Power Radio, where we talk about personal and business development, relationships, sex. And anything else that comes to mind. Don't miss us every Wednesday night at Own Your Power Radio, the Own Your Power Lifestyle Show, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Keep it locked on ownyourpowerlifestyle.com. Peace.
Welcome back to the Inspiring Mind Radio Show. This is Todd Goodwin. This is on the Own Your Power Radio Network, and I'm with my co-host, Sheena Ace Mendes, a clinical hypnotherapist at the Miami Hypnosis Center. Today we're talking about grief and dealing with death of a loved one and how uh, to avoid getting stuck in that, to get past it and live your best life. Uh, Sheena, one of the things we were talking about briefly at the break was how a certain you need to have a certain way of thinking in order to feel a certain way. And whether that feeling is to feel happy or to feel sad, it depends a lot on what you're actually thinking and your beliefs. So can you talk something about that and how people actually manage to feel uh, stuck in grief based on their thoughts? Absolutely. So I'll give you an example. Um, when we were talking about that before the, the break, I remembered a, a recent client that I worked with whose uh, mom and dad were just diagnosed with cancer. Um, the idea of their parents being so ill and possibly passing, right? Because as we know, cancer, um, oftentimes people die from it uh, if they're not able to resolve those issues. So she started adapting the belief system where she thought, well, if my mom and dad are now sick, then that means that genetically I should be next. She started developing a phobia, mm. not only about death, but a phobia even about life, period. She started experiencing panic attacks. She started feeling... Um, stress, anxiety, at any moment of the day, no matter what she was doing. It, it didn't mean that she was necessarily thinking about death. It was just something that was kind of manifesting sure. um, through her physically. And so that's that's the thing with the interconnection between the mind and the body, because as we already know, it's, it's interconnected, it's intertwined, there's no separation. So whatever we're thinking is going to manifest, it's going to show up physically, whether it's through panic attacks, through anxiety, through the stress, through fear. So an example of that was she was having these manifestations when she was driving. She was going into an outburst of just anxiety and, and fear. She came to see me, and I think, if I recall correctly, probably around the third session, she had already overcome it all. Um, but we had to go through that whole breaking of the belief system sure. and uh, kind of like the whole restructuring of her of her thought and, and whatnot, which was how she was able to overcome it. Yeah, that's amazing uh, that we've noticed how quickly people can overcome something, whatever it is, whether it's an emotional or behavioral issue, often very quickly, even if they've struggled with it for years or decades. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I've noticed is that when a lot of time people who experience the death of someone close to them, especially when it was um, a very surprising kind of situation where there's a lot of emotional trauma involved, very often they develop a fear, like you mentioned, a fear of other people dying. It's like, okay, who's next? Mm -hmm. Maybe they have a fear of their own death. But often if they've experienced loss, they're afraid of losing someone else. Absolutely. And then what I've found is that when you actually address the actual perception of loss, the fear goes away. So the fear is a symptom of the grief. Yes. And, you know, it's not just in terms of losing someone because of death um, or the possibility of because of an illness. As you know, I work with a lot of couples or I work with people who have gone through relationship issues and now they've, you know, they're either divorced or a breakup. That's also a form of grief as well you know, getting over that loved one mm. uh, or getting over the relationship. P people still experience, it's very similar, the experience as far as the symptomatology of it, uh, of getting over a an ex or an ex-wife or a girlfriend or whatnot. They go through the same exact process. And it is about, it's perceptual. It really is. Hmm. Now, one, um, you, you were telling me um, recently about a client that you had who had experienced the... Um, I believe the suicide of their their son. Their son. I've had a few of those throughout the years, unfortunately. Can you tell me briefly about what what that was like for them, how it was affecting their lives, and how you guilt? I think that the first emotion that I can think of was guilt. Guilt is what was present, and and the guilt of, um, you know, and and when you when you talk about the stages of grief, at least traditionally or or traditional methods. Um, you, you look at there's there's denial, there's anger, there's bargaining, then depression, and then finally acceptance, right? So 
when when a parent loses a a son or a daughter, there, there's this guilt. So there, there's whole denial, you know, that mm. how can my son be gone? You know, I'm supposed to die first. Sure. So they go through that struggle. And that's a belief. And that's a, that's a belief. Right. And then the guilt kicks in with what if, you know, what if I would have done this or if I would have done that? And, you know, and the whole reexamining of things. And again, it's all perceptual. It's all perceptual. Um, so in working with that particular um, situation, I was able to help her overcome that emotion, that, that weight, the guilt, which was really was driving her insane. That was where the pain was coming from. It was the enormous amount of guilt. In that situation, her 15-year-old son had been suffering from depression for over a year. And they had tried other traditional methods, you know, gone to the psychologist, psychiatrist, did all the meds and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so she had the guilt that what if she would have done something else, right. you know, the idea of something else. Obviously, there's um, always more. There's always more do. that you that you would like to do. Right. However, at the time, it may not have been possible. It may not have been possible. Right. So her 15 year old son, um, he poured gasoline on himself. Oh, my God. And he lit himself on fire. And he and he died. Seventy percent of his body was burnt. Um, he was taken to the hospital. Three days later, he went to cardiac arrest and, and unfortunately passed away. Yeah, so she was dealing with a lot more than just loss. Anger, guilt, sure. I mean, a, a series of things, you know. Absolutely. And you were able to help her get I was able, that fairly, yes. fairly soon, at least get out of the most difficult part of it. The most difficult part of it, which was the guilt. I have to say, for her at least, it was the, the guilt of, you know, as a parent, I'm supposed to save my, my child. And so that, that was a big obstacle uh, for her. And we were able to overcome that. And she was able to find peace with that and acceptance and clearly change that belief. And I think that radically, when you, once you change the belief, then emotions change as well. You know, it's amazing how, how liberating it is when you've been stuck in such, such a dark place for so long. And you come to accept it as just that's the way it is. Because a lot of... A lot of Unfortunately, a lot of uh, psychotherapists, and there are a lot of good ones, but I know a lot, of, a lot of the time they have been trained to just tell people, well, you know, you're just going to have to deal with that. Right. And, and hopefully it will get better over time. Right. Uh, but it's just something. Well, I think that what happens is that because of how they're trained, they, they try to instill a lot of the coping mechanisms in, you know, with their patients or their clients. And, and that's not what we do. We don't give them coping mechanisms. What we do is we help them overcome it. And when you overcome it, you don't. When you to... overcome it, you don't have to cope with anything. There's nothing to cope with. It's done. It's gone. Right. You know, I, um, one client I had several years ago was referred to me by, by another client, and, and she was this girl was 25 years old, I think, and her problem was, uh, well, she had a lot, of, a lot of emotional issues. One was she had this tremendous fear of her own death and getting sick. She was a hypochondriac. She had a fear of uh, her parents dying, um, fear of flying because of the potential of dying, mm -hmm. fear of her parents flying, um, and she also was dealing with the tremendous grief of her brother who had passed away. What had happened was her uh, brother, who was a couple years younger than she was, a few years before, uh, was went into the hospital, diagnosed with cancer, and he died two weeks later. Right. They missed something previously, and as a result of that, she didn't trust um, medical doctors. She didn't trust uh, the way things unfold in life in general I guess whether you call it God or whatever she'd lost faith in everything it seemed and she was so traumatized by the death that then she became you know unconsciously afraid of ever experiencing that again and that's where you know we talk about when we work with our clients explaining that the subconscious mind which is the emotional part of us that creates fear that's the part that also holds the beliefs and the perceptions that we have and so her subconscious out of self-protection created fear Sure. To help, uh, it's a mechanism. Right, yeah. to prevent her from going through anything like that again. Of and so the idea is like when we uh, have a fear or a phobia that is, is, is all self-protection, if we have this fear that, oh, my God, if I got on that plane, uh, what if this is the one in a million plane that crashes? Even though logically they know that's not going right. to happen. Right, that's why we call them irrational beliefs, right? right. Rational fears. So, so this girl, she, had, she would have, uh, you know, um, um, a little backache, and she would immediately think it was kidney disease yes. or something like that. And or, or whatever it might be. Oh, you know, I, my elbow's hurting. Maybe it's... Uh... Well, you know how it works with the subconscious. It, it, subconscious makes associations. 
So I can see how a little backache, she would immediately associate it with her previous experience with her brother, you know, having gone to the hospital. Right. And I don't know the reasons why he even ended up in the hospital in the first place, but I can only assume. You could have had a little problem. Could have a been... little problem. I had that actually when I was around 15 years old. I had a cousin of mine who went into the hospital at 15 because he had pains in his knees. And he was a cyclist and, you know, he used to do this just as for training and whatnot and uh three weeks later he was gone he was 15. he was diagnosed with bone cancer and it was stage four and it was very very severe and it had already spread throughout his whole body and three weeks later he pretty much he passed away so i i can see how someone with an experience of that severity can immediately associate that's as we know that's what the subconscious mind does it makes associations sure and and of course the problem with uh, the type of therapy that all of the clients that I've worked with at least, and I don't know if it was for you, you mentioned that one in particular whose son had killed himself, is that they are encouraged just to talk about it and talk about it, and sometimes that helps, but other times they just it's like a record that's stuck in the same groove. Yes. And with this young woman in particular, she had been through uh, you know talk therapy for a couple years, and I think she was taking anti-anxiety and anti-depression um, medication, which helped a little bit, but again, that's treating the symptom, not the real root. Which right, is, not the cause. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, so it's partly her memory. So one of the things that we did, which, uh, if, as I recall, after two, I think after just two sessions, within about a week's time frame, the sadness was gone, the grief was gone, and one more session, the fear was gone. And one of the things we did was was a variety of different NLP techniques, neuro-linguistic programming, which is related to hypnosis, and really that gets right down into the subconscious and shifts the way that she remembered it and shifts the way that she stores that information in her mind. She didn't even have to know what was happening in terms of the technique for it to work, but that's that cuts right down to it and resolves it very quickly, yep. unlike just talking about it. Because, you know, you talk about a problem, she already knew logically she should get over it. She knew logically that the back pain was probably just a muscle, but what if it was, you know, kidney disease or cancer or something? Um, now, you know, it's funny because some cultures in this world celebrate death. Absolutely. And they, maybe they believe that's what the the release of uh, the body from or the, the spirit from being constrained. Well, that's when you can see that it, it's all dependent on your belief system, right? Because, like you mentioned, there are cultures that, like, and I know the Hindus, they, that's one in particular sure. that I know they celebrate death. Uh, and a lot as, of pagan cultures, like the yes. indigenous Mexican culture, yes. the Day of the Dead, they celebrate that. Um, yeah, which is why they're not as affected or affected in the same way, because their belief system is based on a celebration or, or passing through or you know a transcendence of where they are to where they're going. Um, so our belief systems really have you know have everything to do with how we react to or the way that we manifest our symptoms. Now you know someone might hear that and think. Well, yeah, I sort of, I kind of agree with you, but this is, we're talking about death here. Like, this is someone who died. This was really bad. It was a, you know, horrifying experience. So don't tell me that it's my beliefs that caused me to feel upset. This was just horrible. And and there's just no two ways about it. Because I'm sure some people would say that. Normally, if they're if they're very attached to their grief, and, and you just said it, that's it. It's the word you just use attachment. It's the attachment to our beliefs. So, if our beliefs, contrary to what our beliefs are here in our society, if our beliefs were uh, more based on celebrating, you know, celebrating the death because death really just means kind of the passing on to something else, then we would not be as attached. We would be detached. But in our society, we we're that, that's pretty much that's the way we we believe you know we believe that in attachments and we attach ourselves to the people that we love and to the things that we have and so it is based on our belief if you really look at it from that angle from just the attachment belief so in other words if to take an extreme example well let's look at it this way when you have a criminal let's just i'm not going to name any names but let's just say someone that people really dislike uh who's, you know, a criminal, let's just say they've killed many people, or they're mm-hmm. just what we consider a bad person, which of course is a perception, it's just a judgment, but if we think someone's a bad person, and they die, there's probably a parade or a celebration. In this country, there's not this mourning and grief. Right. So, it's a death. A death is a death. So why is it in one case we celebrate, and in another case we grieve? 
it's in and it's, it's both, the belief that we have behind the experience right. or the situation. You know, so uh, someone I don't recall the name, but there was a great philosopher who said something about that when people have grief, they're in a very selfish posture. They're in a very selfish position because they're thinking about what they lost. Yes. They're not thinking about th- there was this actually this client um, almost client some a doctor I know is going to refer this person to me and she said oh you know Todd can help you overcome that grief this woman's husband had passed away 10 years before and she still wasn't seeing anyone else was depressed it was really affecting her physically as well as it often does and she said oh he can really help you with this and she's like no um, I, I, I can't go see him because no one can forget a man like that and I, I told this doctor I said I appreciate you're trying to refer her to me the thing is she has to want to get help if she believes that it's doing if she believes she has to grieve uh she's going to keep doing it and so my point is if you if you think about it it's from it's actually very selfish because she's thinking about her loss and i i said to this doctor i said here if you see her again here's what you say would your would your dead husband if assuming you have that belief that he is in some other level in some way, you know, a soul or a spirit or whatever, or even if not, would he want you to continue to be miserable or would he, would he, if he could speak to you, say, you know what, I want you to, I know you'll love me and I want you to live your best life because I love you. And normally if that's what the person who's grieving realizes, then they'll realize that it's in everyone's best interest for them to make peace with it. I agree. And, 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 and unfortunately some people and who are experiencing grief of whatever level or whatever type, um, a lot of times they hold on to it as an attachment because there's a secondary gain. And, and we know very well about secondary gains. What, what is a secondary gain? Explain that. Well, meaning me. there's an ulterior motive. You know, uh, because of the experience or the situation, they may be getting an, an enormous amount of attention from or sympathy, maybe. Or sympathy uh, or, or empathy or sympathy, either one, you know, w- attention itself. And it might be something that they're seeking because of what happened to them. And so I, I find that a lot of times there, there, is, um, th- there is a connection there between the person who is holding on to it, holding on to the loss and what they're receiving as far as their family, their friends, which is sometimes beyond just support. And, you know, it's more, more attention than anything else. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's interesting because that, when we talk about things like secondary gain uh, with, with grieving, with, with chronic pain, with um, other issues like that, even, even addictions, a lot of people who are experiencing that are very reluctant to admit that there may be some benefit they're getting yes. out of it. Because it makes it look like they're either doing it intentionally right. or it's their fault, which is not really what's happening. No. It, the point is the conscious mind, and, and in our show we talk a lot about this, the conscious mind is the logical part. That's the part that thinks about it sensibly, rationally, from a long-term big-picture perspective. It's the subconscious that often gets stuck. That's mm-hmm. the emotional part, the irrational part. And that's the part that's designed to try to keep the person safe from even emotional danger. Uh, you Absolutely. know, what if, what if that, what if that loss happens again? Um, in a moment, we're going to go to another break, and on the other side of that break, we're going to have Gina, and she's going to talk about her experience and how she was, where she was in her life with respect to the passing of her mother a couple years before um, I met her, and then some of the things that we did to help her break through it. And before we go to break, I just want to mention just really quickly for for those of you listening that. Um, we're not talking a lot about hypnosis because hypnosis is is simply a way of creating a a receptive state of mind where the subconscious is actually open to changing its belief or its emotional response. So really this is not about hypnosis per se. Hypnosis facilitates transformation. And when someone is in a state of hypnosis, which they experience on their own regularly anyway, then they're receptive to learning a new perspective or unlearning a limiting or painful belief changing the way they remember something so that they can live their best life. So uh, just when we use the word hypnosis, we'll define it at some other point in more detail, but really it's not so much about hypnosis. It's about how helping someone change, helping you change the way you think about something so it changes how you feel. And hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming are just two ways of shift making that shift. So we're going to break now. We'll be back in a couple moments. Uh, this is the Inspiring Minds radio show on the Own Your Power radio network. Too much, too much, too much, too much, too much. 
This segment was brought to you by Constant Contact. Learn how to grow your business with the Constant Contact Toolkit. Sign up today by texting OYP to 22828. That's OYP to 22828 to register for the mailing list. Once you're a customer, Coach Simone will contact you and set up your complimentary training on marketing strategies and branding for your email campaigns. Once again, it's Constant Contact where you can connect, inform, and grow. Welcome back to the Inspiring Minds Radio Show on the Own Your Power Network. This is Todd Goodwin, a hypnotist from the Miami Hypnosis Center. Today we're talking about why it's so hard to say goodbye and dealing with and overcoming grief. My co-host today is uh, Sheena Ace-Mendes, clinical hypnotherapist also at the Miami Hypnosis Center. And we have, in this segment, we have a guest, a past client of mine named Gina, who was dealing with um, some really intense grief and at the time I met her, that was really affecting her life in many areas. Uh, Sheena, you're going to talk with her a little bit, find yeah. out what, what she was going through and how she was able to get through that and where she is today. 
Well, first of all, welcome, Gina. Thank, Thank you for being here with welcome. us and, and for taking the time to come and kind of share with us and the audience a little bit about your experience. So one thing I want to ask you is um, if you can make a distinction just between where you are today and where you were, say, the first time you came and uh, you met, and no, you, met, you worked with Todd and you, you saw him for that consult. If you can just kind of in a few words just tell me a little bit about just emotionally, mentally where you were because of what you were going through. I know that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, you went to see Todd because you were dealing with the, the passing of your mother, correct? Correct. Who had passed because of a cancer. cancer. So bad. it was a health issue, yes. really bad. So you were with her throughout the whole entire experience. So if you can make a distinction of where you were at that moment versus where you are today. I'm a completely different person, completely. Like, even after all that happened, I would see friends of mine or fellow coworkers, and I would sit down with them. And after I'd gone through the hypnosis and everything, they're like, Gina, you are a completely different person. I feel like I am sitting in front of someone completely different. So like, who were you? I mean, I just always tense, stressed, like on edge. Any little thing would just make me cry or remember things. I felt like the world was against me. I felt like everything bad always happened to me. I guess I was only focusing on everything negative after that, you know, like, why me, why me? So it sounds like you were angry, right? Yeah, a lot of things, emotions like that will make you angry also, not, you know, anger, guilt, um, longing, you know, restless nights, all those things are very frustrating as well, and it's just so many things were manifesting physically with me too. I was having muscle spasms in the middle of the night. Like I couldn't move my neck or I couldn't move my back out of, from sneezing in the middle of the night. You know, like I, that's when I really realized my stress level was on overload. I couldn't sleep. I would cry into my pillow all the time. I would cry so often. I wouldn't even tell people closest to me how much I was crying. Cause I, I was almost embarrassed it's like, I cannot believe that after one year, I am still so upset. I cannot get over it. I, I can't, ex I guess I couldn't accept it. So when you went to see Todd and you were going through all this, what were you expecting? Because I mean, clearly it had been what, a year that you a had year. been dealing with this. So quite some time, right? Right. I mean, you that's acceptable. It was two, wasn't it? Yeah. It was almost two. Almost two, right? Had you tried anything else prior to seeing, you know, to coming to the office? No, because no. I don't believe in, well, I mean, this is my opinion. It doesn't make me right, but I don't believe in seeing a psychiatrist or a psychologist because okay. I, I just feel like they judge you. I feel like they're just going to put me on medication or antidepressants because they would say you are depressed. Okay. And I did not want that. I, I knew something was wrong with me. And how were you dealing with it prior to coming I, to the office? just crying and I was just grabbing junk food all the time just making meals out of king-size candy bars two three times a week wow just reaching just emotional eating not so much overeating but sugar candy chocolate like anything made me feel better sure I would I was probably drinking more I was probably going out more you know things like that and that can ultimately if that kept up it could have been self very self-destructive could have gotten worse and when I had my con, I had no idea what to expect when I went to a con. I had no idea what this was really about. I thought you could only do it for phobias and addictions. You know, when he said grief, I, I was like, nah, there's no way yeah. that I could be happy about all of this. There's no way I could be okay. There's no way I'm going to stop crying. How is this possible? You know, and I just felt like not once was I being judged. Not once was... You know, he was really listening and really, truly wanted to help. And I let it out. You know, I don't think I would have <laughs> <That's true. laughs> let it out like that at a psychologist or anything because awesome. yeah. I feel like they're judging you. Mm. So why keep talking if all they do is judge you? Right? So when you had you that, that first session, that first, well, I, I take it you first had a consult with him, correct? Mm -hmm. You walked out of there. What were you thinking? Hmm. I don't know. It's hard to remember. Um, I felt good. Um, I remember after it was a few sessions. I remember after the second, maybe the third, I started really seeing that this was working. You know, so? I started seeing that 
well, before in the past, I would look pictures of my mother and I would stop at certain ones and I would just cry and cry and cry, you know, and these and I noticed that these were the pictures of her wearing a wig or when she was in remission or so we thought remission. Sure. Um, and I would stop at those and just cry. And then one day I was scrolling through her pictures on the computer and I found myself, I almost like snapped out of it. I found myself staring at pictures of her and smiling. And wow. these were the pictures of That's her huge. with her real hair before she had cancer. I just found myself stopping at these pictures. It, it just happened. I was flipping through quickly the ones of her in a wig and stopping at the ones of her healthy and happy. Where you had the good memories. The complete opposite. Yeah. I, before I used to flip through the ones of her healthy because I was focusing on her illness and what I lost and like you said oh it, it is sort of selfish you know you think of what you lost I won't have another home-cooked meal again I won't have her scratch my back again I won't have her pick me up at the airport again like she did and open arms that you know but it's all I I I right. I won't have this I will that's you know well as, as you know Todd, that's that's also a way of us kind of justifying and understanding why we feel the way we feel so in your case obviously you were going through a state of sadness and loss and grief. So it is a way of kind of justifying it. Right. It's, it's normal, mm -hmm. actually. And I just felt everything around me, before all the sessions were done, I felt everything around me was completely changing. Like everything around me, my work environment, anything that caused extra stress that I already went through was at, at such a low buzz compared to the high noise I had in my head. I thought everything was changing, but... He pointed out to me, no, you're the one that's changing. Everything else stayed, has stayed the same. It's the way you're seeing it. Mm. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's like changing the, the lenses you look through. Mm -hmm. you know, she was looking through dark lenses. Everything seemed dark before that. And it's not about putting on rose-colored lenses where you're seeing everything better than it is. It's just about seeing it as it is. As it's like you're is. wiping away the dirt. Right. Yeah, that, that's yeah. the way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, now, one of the things that I wanted to mention that we did with Eugenia was part of what made this more challenging maybe for you than just, oh, your mom died, was that you remember there were certain memories where she was in the hospital, she looked really bad, you heard things, you saw things, you had memories playing again and again, and yeah. we had to do some work on the memories themselves. That's another thing. I could not, I had to fight, fight, fight. This would make me cry all the time. This really triggered it, were these visions in my head and the things I heard and smelled and saw um, I had to fight to keep them out, fight to keep them out of my head. And then we did NLP work, mm -hmm. and I now have to fight to try to even imagine it. I, it's not even, it's just not there. It, I can try to picture it, but at the same time, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. I don't like well, feeling like that. What did you do with her, Todd, if you can just... You mean the techniques? Oh, well, yeah. yeah. You can say, well, like, in that, in that circumstance, that instance... Well, in that instance, as I recall, there was a hospital. One was a hospital scene where she was in the hospital bed. And as typically happens with traumatic memories. Hearing the nurse and right. all these things. And so really, the fundamental, when we're dealing with a traumatic memory or, or really any kind of uh, memory, the way I explain it to people is that when you have an emotion of some kind, it's supported, like we talked about before, by a belief or a way of thinking. And that can sometimes be... A memory, a, mem a thought can be an image, it can be a sound, it can be what you're telling yourself in your head when you're, you know, doing self-talk. Because it's also the last memory I had, you know, so it just, I hold on to that memory because it's the last one I had, yes. and it just replays and replays and replays and just... Right, so what happened was she was stuck almost like the, the for those of you who remember VCR, because it seems to work better than DVD, but it was like, it was, it was paused on that one, you know, really difficult scene and memory sure. and and it was like the machine was stuck on pause and she couldn't get past it and she couldn't even rewind because every time she tried to go back to a pleasant memory it would immediately fast forward to her the memory of her mom dying so one of the things we did was well first you have to understand that when you change if what you see and hear in a memory creates the emotion then changing what you see and hear changes the emotion so I believe one of the things we did was helping her change her actual visual perspective. This is all like, this is an NLP work. This is called submodality work, which is you're changing the components of what you're seeing and hearing. We change the color. We change the perspective. We change from looking at it like you were looking at it from your own perspective to seeing it objectively. 
So you depersonalized it. You can do all sorts of things. You can you know, change the lighting in the room. You can make it more blurry. There's a lot of very basic things that we did, and, and there were more complex things that are a little harder to explain uh, at this point. And we did those things, and, and I, as reviewing my notes before we had this show, the notes from our work together, I found that after one particular session, which I think was the third, where we did um, an eye movement-related exercise and we did the other submodality work, the, um, uh, the notes for the next session was that you came in and you were no longer sad. And you had also started eating healthier, too. Yeah. Even though we, we actually didn't even do any work on eating habits. No. Because you were eating to make yourself feel better. Right. But when you were feeling better, you didn't need to eat as much junk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's pretty amazing. So it like, is. It, it's, so that's where, when you're dealing with the root issue, and this is one of my real um, frustrations with, with the medical system and whether it's mental health or physical health in this country and, and the whole Western society is we are a symptom-based society. We focus on symptoms. Not cause. Someone, yeah. Right. So let's just say she was eating junk food. We say, well, the problem is it's a behavioral problem, so let's change what you're doing. But no, that's not. That's a symptom to make you feel better because you were uncomfortable emotionally. Well, or maybe compensating for that's right. That's right. So then we say, well, the emotion is the problem. The, the sadness is the problem. No, no, that is a problem, but that's really a symptom. The real problem is another symptom. The real yeah. right. The real problem is <laughs> is your thinking, the way you think about it, the the belief that your mom is still suffering or the belief that you will never be loved again or that you will never have a home-cooked meal or that somehow you've lost something and as a result uh, you're going to suffer indefinitely. And, and it's really, if you think about it, if you look at a coin, there's two sides to it. And Gina, I know we, we talked about this in the past and this is the case with a lot of clients who have gone through grief or any kind of situation where they feel guilty or regretful about something, is that if you just look at one side of the coin right? That's all you see. But there's another side. And if you start looking at the other side of that coin and realize that every event, a situation in your life, the death of someone is not just a bad thing. There are things you've learned from it. There are things you've gained from it. There are things that you've learned. What are some of the things you've, you've learned about yourself that empower you that you can actually say the death of your mother actually served you in a positive way if you were to look? Like what have you gained from it? I mean, wow, I completely believe this works. You know, I'm firsthand can tell you it works. It works quick. No drugs are needed. No pills are needed. No, nothing like that. It's all just in your mind. And I think that those techniques can be used for many other situations that are stressful. Um, I've also learned that, you know, I really kind of, I not really kind of, I'm going to do this as a profession. Yeah, that's right. And I'm, you know, I might have lost one, but I can save possibly hundreds, you know. And or I thousands, think, yeah. Right, and I think that's something she'd be really proud of, you know. So in a way, had it not happened the way it did and had I not have reacted and been so, tra like, it was so traumatic for me seeing all this, I felt like I went through it right with her, I wouldn't have this push to do something different. What would you and say? And I've always wanted to help people, mm -hmm. and I wasn't really sure how. You probably also learned that you that you can get through a difficult situation in life. I imagine your self confidence is a lot higher. Right. I was mm -hmm. just going to ask her that. Was it? What, what, what did you learn about yourself in yeah. terms of and, and about your mind? And right. You know, when you do a comparison as to I couldn't where believe you were, I, I, I'm where I am now. Yeah. I, I thought it was impossible. And he and he asked me. He's like, "Why do you think it's impossible?" And I said, "Because it sounds too good to be true." <laughs> he said that. Yeah. Again, that's just a belief. belief. I was like, it's, yeah. it, he's like, how would you feel if you'd be so happy and grateful that she died of cancer the way she did? And I just was like, it's impossible. It's too good to be true. Or to look and back now and talk about it the way you're doing now, and clear, you know, clearly you're at a good place. I now. get it. I yeah. get it. You know, I've accepted it, and I get it. And I haven't. I used to cry every day, all day, and I think maybe once I cried on the day of her death on her anniversary and I cried for like five minutes compared to different experience that's amazing. I had to be sent home from work the year before <laughs> yeah sure yeah that's huge well congratulations because clearly the tool the technique and you know Todd is is just amazing in his work is is part of it but also you're you're you know you're willing to to try something that was so different and 
and obviously be so receptive to it and, and understanding that you, you can change. Mm-hmm. Not just the way you're feeling, and but it's the way easy. you're thinking. Like I thought if it'd be such a long, hard road mm-hmm. and I didn't have to be. No. Yeah. And and, and it's, it's, it's mind blowing. Well, and I wanted to say and, and I, I tell this to any of my clients who are quick to give me all the credit. I'll say, look, I'm happy to get the assist. You're, you're welcome to, you know, say great things about this, tell other people that it's possible to improve their lives, but realize you were the one who enabled this to work. Your mind, your willingness, your desire, your cooperation. And that gives people a key. lot more confidence too. Like you're letting, you're giving them credit too. So it's oh, sure. like, wow, I I really did do this. Yeah. You know, you helped me, but. Well, the truth is that we, we couldn't do this without you. Right. You know, it really does take both. Well, you know, as I as I said in the consult to you, all hypnosis is self hypnosis. So, right. as a hypnotist or hypnotherapist, we're basically we're a tool, co- coaches, yeah. trainers, teachers. We guide you into a receptive state of mind. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so it's important because you know we say in the Miami Hypnosis Center and and really with this show too, it's about inspiring, empowering, and transforming. You were inspired based on our initial conversation to believe that it was possible that you could get over it. And then soon through your own work and the collaboration that we had, you were empowered to shift the way you thought and felt so that you could do better in your life. And then you were transformed. Mm -hmm. And so you did it. And she owned her power. She she, she definitely. That's right. That's right. Right. And and right now, by that story, what you just told Gina, you are also inspiring the minds who are listening to this. And you are an inspiring mind. And that's what our show is about. So as we, so I want to thank you, Gina, for coming and sharing your story. Thank you. And and for inspiring the people listening. And Sheena, thank you, Sheena Mendes, my wonderful co-host for the show. Um, and before we wrap up this this show, I do want to just let you know, um, for all you listening, that we at the Inspiring Minds Show and the Own Your Power Radio Network, uh, our goal is to is to tell you that you do have the ability to transform your life and to inspire you to wake up and live your best life and realize that whatever beliefs you have that have limited you or caused you to somehow give that power away, you can take that power back, you can own that power, and then you can live your best life and then if you want, be an inspiration to other people. Um, When people tell you you're just gonna have to deal with that problem, hopefully it gets better, you're just gonna suffer because of what happened, they don't know what you now know you do have the ability to live your best life. And what we're going to be doing in all of our shows is teach you, is educate you, and then hopefully inspire you to be empowered enough to live your best life so that you can go out there and create a better world one person at a time. That's my personal mission. I know Sheena shares this, and I know that's what we're going to be doing with this radio show. So as we come to an end, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, stay, stay in touch with the Own Your Power Radio Network and the Inspiring Minds Radio Show. We have a lot of great stuff. And if you want to learn more about the work we do at the Miami Hypnosis Center, you can visit MiamiHypnosisCenter.com. Thanks again for listening. This is Todd Goodwin. Talk to you soon.